please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, there is very adult content ahead and, well, you've been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I'm your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and even unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, Relax and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's dark enigma, I'm going to be addressing two listener complaints. That's right. I received two different emails, both complaining that I only focus on U.S.-based locations. And well, to be honest, it's because I'm broke, honey. And I can't travel internationally. So, you know, if I can't get to a place, then how can I tell a story about it? But you know what? Since this was more than one person's concern, I decided I'm going to give you a two-for episode with a seeming international flair. And since we've been talking creepy destinations, I decided to focus on something that I think is creepy as fuck. Dolls! So, I have two stories, both centered around dolls, and thankfully, I didn't have to get anywhere near them, because they're creepy as fuck. But before we dive in, we do have some business to attend to. That's right. As always, we will be playing our drinking game. But remember, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go to. And since dolls creep me the fuck out, you get to choose your own libation. But I do ask you to, well, face your fears... So, for today's episode and today's episode alone, I want you to take shots of whatever alcohol you swore that you would never drink again. And yes, for me, that's going to be tequila. That's right. Pull out your college-era sweatshirts and down that Jägermeister again. Because there are two scary places that you will never see Nicole's happy ass in, and we're talking about them today. Right. Now, for the game part. Every time I say doll... That'll be a single shot. And every time I say creepy, that will be a double shot. And just a personal note, there's going to be a lot of double shots because they are creepy as fuck. All right. Now that we have our business end out of the way, we can jump first into today's dark enigma and creepy ass doll towns. And our first story is actually one that many of us saw, oh, way back when on Destination Truth with Josh Gates, who I absolutely adore. Because in the canals of Gochimilco, Mexico, there is an island covered in mutilated and dismembered dolls. The island is said to be haunted by the spirit of a ghost of a girl who died in the canals. So, enter if you dare. Now, sometimes when people get into a religious sulk, They do things like fly planes into buildings or dress their kids in white and drown them in bleach. So, in the grand scheme of wacko theological attention-seeking, 
when Don Julian was run out of the barrios for preaching to venerate Christ by decorating a secluded island with creepy dolls, he was, well, actually being pretty damn reasonable, in my opinion. So, if you pay enough dinero to one of the many gondoliers lingering around the canals of Yochimilco on the outskirts of Mexico City, and by the way, don't send me emails. I know I'm mispronouncing it. You know what? Sue me. I can't, I can't say it. So you're just going to have to deal with it. You pronounce it. It's X-O-C-H-I-M-I-L-C-O. Good luck with that. Anyways, so we've got our gondoliers lingering around the canals of Mexico City. If you pay enough money, they'll take you to the arduous four-hour round trip to Don Julian's former stomping ground, La Isla de las Muñecas. There, you'll be confronted by a forest of creepy-ass children's dolls, their flesh blistering and boiling beneath the hot Mexican sun. In the 1950s, Don Julian was preaching the word of the Lord Jesus Christ at a time when Mexicans weren't willing to hear about it. With it presumed that only anointed priests had the right to speak of Jehovah in all his glory, people took serious offense to Julian's liberal God talk, to the extent that he was repeatedly beaten up for his sins, because, you know, Christians and whatnot. Around this time, he began his very strange habit of combing dustbins for dolls, which he lovingly collected to, obviously, ward off evil spirits. Because, you know, surround yourself with creepy-ass dolls and that's going to ward off the evil spirits. I guess that's how they get in the dolls? Is that what it is? Anyways. Leaving his wife and children behind, he moved to the uninhabited island that would become his home for the next 50 years, until his very strange death back in 2001. The old story goes that a girl once drowned on the island, and by collecting dolls, Julian believed he could keep at bay the demons that were trying to get to her in the afterlife. The girl's existence, however, has never actually been proven. So, you know, whatever. Don Julian was ignored for decades as he sailed along Xochimilco's canals, fishing for discarded dolls to take back to his creepy-ass little island. The few who were aware of Don Julian's strange activity would periodically bring him, well, fresh dolls, which he would trade for produce grown on the island. I'm just going to say, first of all, who the hell was working the produce if he was collecting dolls? I don't know about you, but that freaks me the fuck out. Okay. Anyways, he basically turned old dolls into a kind of currency at the heart of his mad micro-economy of repressed religious lust, trading phallic turnips for degraded bodies. Yeah, because, you know, Christian and all. <laughs> Anyways, despite his macabre pursuit, Don Julian was known as a very friendly and welcoming man. Well, because, you know, he's got all those eyes on him who happily toured visitors around his island shrine to rotting child effigies. His favorite doll was called Monek, and in the latter days of his life he would sit Monek in a small hut surrounded by a collage of the many newspaper clippings by local reporters that gradually brought the island of the dolls to Mexico's attention and made Don Julian a minor celebrity. Don, Don Julio's story came to a close in 2001 when he was found drowned, aged 80, in the location just off the island's coast, where he'd always claimed the little girl had died. 
I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that the dolls did it. Anyways. Now only his collection of plastic-born babies remains, enduring the relentless Mexican heat. His son, however, maintains the eerie-ass island, inviting tourists that are willing to make the long trip to come and visit his sprawling, degraded collection. Now, I'm not going to even lie to you. This one gets a 10 on my creepy-as-fuck meter. But while I was researching this story, I came across yet another doll-centric tale. And seriously, what the hell is with these people? Because seriously, anybody out there with me, dolls are fucking creepy, right? Huh? What? Okay, maybe not. All right, well, let's travel to the other side of the world, to Japan, for our next tale. In Japan, you sometimes hear the term village on the edge. What it means is village on the edge of extinction. Because Japan's population is declining. And the signs of that are easiest to see most in the rural areas, like the mountainous interior of the southern island of Shikoku. For example, the village of Nagoro. It used to have about 300 residents. Now it has 30. Visitors will know that they've arrived when they see the three farmers in floppy hats resting against a telephone pole at the side of the road. They're always there. There's no need to worry. They're scarecrows, life-sized figures made of cloth and stuffed with cotton and newspapers. And the same goes for the man fishing in the creek a bit farther up the road, and even the woman working in the potato field, and even the people waiting at the bus stop. That's right, Nagoro is filled with nothing but scarecrows. And all of these figures are the work of 67-year-old Sikimi Ayano. She's been making them for more than a decade. Three scarecrows lean against a telephone pole at the edge of the Japanese village of Nagaru. Sikumi Ayano created these figures after she returned to the village to take care of her ailing father. The area now includes many of her figures and has even attracted some tourism. The first one was intended to just be a kakashi or a scarecrow, something to keep the birds from eating the seeds that she had planted. She even made it look like her father. Why? Well, because why not? Because dolls are creepy. He didn't mind, he said, but all the neighbors thought because the scarecrow was wearing his clothes and looked like him that he was out farming very early in the morning. They would sometimes say, good morning, you're up working very early. And it just started up a conversation between the scarecrow and the neighbors. Because, you know, when you live in a city full of scarecrows or dolls, you eventually start talking to them. And that's why they're fucking creepy. Anyways, Ayano sometimes cooks over a wood fire in front of her small house. Nearby is a concrete tank where she raises fish she catches in the river. And country life seems to suit her very well. You wouldn't guess that she lived most of her life in Osaka, Japan's third largest city. Her family moved there from Nagaro when she was in the seventh grade. And she remained, she married, and she raised her children. And she says she's always made stuff. You know, little figurines, dolls, things like that. But there wasn't much room in her little apartment in Osaka. So she returned to her village 15 years ago to look after her father. And the changes around her, well, they were pretty profound. And she says, 
When I was in the seventh grade, there were lots of people in the community, a lot of villagers, a lot of children. But when I came back, you could obviously see the decline in the population. But that emptiness has given Ayano a huge canvas for her creations. She guesses that she's made more than 400 scarecrows by now. Okay, momentary pause. Cool, that's fucking creepy. Okay. Many are just replacements. The figures don't last all that long, but all of them have individuality in their faces and clothing. Some have the names of characters that she's made up, and others are based on real people. Some living and some already gone. Sikumi's Ayano's scarecrows congregated a bus stop in Nagaro. The village used to be home to about 300 people, and now there's only 30. There's Mrs. Miyaku Ogata, an old woman sitting in front of an abandoned house. She is a grandmother who passed away two years ago, says Ayano, but she used to sit like that in front of the house, so I made the figure exactly like I remembered her. And she says that seeing these figures doesn't make her sad, at least not anymore, because they're wearing the same clothes as when they were very active. She says that she comes around and greets her all the time, and it feels like maybe she's still there. Ayana seems to take the loss of her neighbors in stride. At 67, she's one of the younger people in the village. The school down the road from her house is now closed because, well, there are no children in the village anymore. Instead, the school has become a showcase for dozens of Ayano's figures. She's made the classrooms as she remembers them, full of students, teachers, and parents looking on. The child figures represent the last two students who were there before the school was closed. And now the school is only open to show Ayano's work. One classroom has just two child figures seated at the desks, and they represent the last two students who were there before the school shut down for good approximately four or five years ago. And she says of them, these two little scarecrows, the children, made those themselves during their home at class, she said, and then they put the clothes they wore back on the figures before they left the school. Touching and creepy. Ayano scarecrows have put this little village on the map. The regional government sponsors a scarecrow festival for tourists each October, and some foreign visitors just find Ayano on their own. So she was unfazed when a young tourist from Poland named Kit Kordowalski showed up unannounced in early July. He says that his urge to meet Ayano just wasn't a rational thing. He said, I just really wanted to come. And, according to him, the scene didn't disappoint him as all, at all. He called it absolutely wonderful and couldn't stop smiling. That's not the reaction that some Western observers have had, though. Ayana's creations have been described as creepy and haunting. But her figures are cheerfully embraced by the locals. You can see her work not only in Nagaro, but also in other villages in these mountains. In one of them, a cafe owner proudly displays a scarecrow in their window that they call cute. Creepy is the proper terminology. I don't know why they misspell it like that. Anyways. Ayano rejects many assumptions about her work, both positive and negative. She says she doesn't make these scarecrows because she's lonely. She doesn't think of them as a project. She considers them art. Making them just brings her a lot of joy. And you know what? More power to her. Because, you know, if she finds them wonderful, then let her keep doing them. As long as they stay in Japan and I stay in the U.S., right? 
Anyway, she says, every morning I just greet them. I say good morning or have a nice day. I never get a response, but that doesn't make a difference. I go around talking to them anyway. She says that she'll keep making the figures as long as she's able to. So, Nagara's population of scarecrows is likely to increase as the people who live there slowly fade away. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I need a Silkwood scrub down. <laughs> but with that, we have come to the end of the episode. And oh my god, it was fucking creepy. And I'm going to need serious psychiatric intervention. But okay, I do thank you for joining me today. I hope that you're going to take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts. As always, you can reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And as you see, I do respond to every email, even the ones that make me want to, you know, kill myself. So if you have suggestions for some future shows or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. So thank you for joining me here today on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time my heathens just don't send me any dolls love you guys we don't sugarcoat shit this is renegade talk radio renegade talk radio